Good morning. I am Melissa, and I am loved by God. That's who I am. I'm his favorite. I am. See? <laughs> I have trained you well. Just a wonderful. Did everyone get one? Because I do have more. Um, do you need more? Are we good? Okay. So I have a wonderful lesson for you this morning that I have been marinating on for about a month or so. And so um, enjoy it. It's like uh, there's this meme that when a teacher tells you this is going to be fun, that really means somebody's going to die. So, <laughs> so this is going to be fun this morning. <laughs> Okay, so um, one of the things, I'm trying to stay on tape, on camera. One of the things I think you guys know about me, and I just wanna just reiterate this, is that I am not about guilt and condemnation. I, I believe that there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So I am not a person, I'm not a, a, a preacher or a teacher that tries to motivate by guilt it's not who I am. I think guilt is an unnecessary emotion. Um, I think it is uh, a weapon. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are all weapons of the enemy. And I want you to remember that you are holy and blameless in the eyes of the Lord, according to Colossians. However, my goal this morning is to challenge us a little bit, including myself. Because this, as I've been ruminating over this the last month or so, it has been very challenging for me. So yes, my goal this morning is to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because there's no growth without being uncomfortable. There are such things as called growing pains. So growing hurts a little bit. So my prayer this morning is that we all are a little bit uncomfortable by some of the things that I have to say this morning. Matt did such a great job last week in talking about the, um, the soil of our heart and how we all have different times when sometimes we're fertile soil, sometimes we're rocky soil. We all go through those stages. But my prayer this morning is that all of your hearts are fertile soils this morning for what the Lord wants to say, that you can receive it without guilt, without condemnation, without leaning back to your own traditions, leaning back to what you've been taught all your life and receive truly what the Lord has for us. And the third prerequisite for this morning is I want to remind you of a biblical word called Selah. Do you guys, have you guys seen the word Selah? And some people, it's found mostly in the Psalms. And some people believe that it was just a note to the choir director to stop and pause. And some people think it means to stop, pause, and reflect on what was just said. So this morning, we're going to have some Selah moments. I'll just stop and say Selah. And what I want you to do is I just want you to reflect on what I just said or what you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking. Okay? Because that's part of the growth. All righty? So before we start, before we get started in any scripture, I want to ask you a self-reflective question. Okay, you ready? What people group are you struggling to love this morning? What people group are you struggling to show grace this morning? I, I have my people group. I'm not gonna tell you who my people group is. Okay, because some of you might be in my people group. I might be in your people group. It's okay. But I want you to ask yourself, who are you struggling to just show grace to? Is it, is it illegal immigrants that's been in the news lately? Is it illegal immigrants? Is it people who don't treat illegal immigrants well? Is it people of certain faiths? Is it people who say black lives matter? Is it people who say all lives matter? Who are you struggling to just love and see the grace of God in? Is it millennials? <laughs> is it boomers? Is it anti-vaxxers? Is it vaxxers? Is it MAGA? Is it book banners? 
Is it black woke pastors? I can handle it. Is it conservative pastors? I have a friend, she said her group is middle school girls. <laughs> is it your family? Your in-laws? You know the difference between an in-law and an outlaw? Outlaws want it. Emily's not in here, so <laughs> you're laughing at that a little too much, Bon. <laughs> is it a group who has hurt you, excluded you? Is it, is it those pro-life people? Is it those pro-choice people? Is it the LGBTQ community? Socialists? Capitalists? Who are you struggling to show grace towards? I want you to write that in that box at the top. And I don't want you to show that to anybody. That's why I wanted to each to have your own because maybe that name that's going in there is your spouse and that would be a little awkward. So who are you struggling to love? It could be a people group, it could be a, just one person. Who are you struggling to love? And I, I promise you I have my group, although I'm not gonna tell you my group, I just came up with the, you know, maybe a group. I'm struggling to have grace for principals and vice principals who make me do unrealistic demands on teachers, requiring me to double my workload. That's who I'm struggling with. <laughs> That's who I'm struggling with this morning. If I weren't, if I weren't put, posting it, I would put a completely different group. But you know who your group is. So say la. Stop and think and write. I'm not going to ask you to share that with anybody, not even your spouse. I have enjoyed our series on parables. And, uh, you know, we talked about how sometimes uh, Jesus, somebody will ask Jesus a question and he'll answer and it doesn't seem like he answered it. I like this parable because it's simple. Um, I'm doing this morning the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 to 37. If you could turn there with me, please. Luke 10, 25 through 37. So, Father, we come before you this morning, humbly before you. We love you. We know you love us. And we ask, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, I ask that you would use me. To bring light into areas where we have allowed darkness. I ask you, Lord, to use me this morning to change our hearts to show us how to love just a little bit better this morning. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to just start by reading the scripture, Luke 25 through 37. I don't have it on um, the screen, so hopefully you have your Bibles. Hopefully. Guys, I told you when I preach, you need to bring your Bible. I told you guys that. Okay. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teachers, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is it written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. being a lawyer wanting to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor then Jesus answered him and said a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed leaving him dead 
Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Everybody say, go and do likewise. That's the name of my sermon this morning, go and do likewise. I have two questions for you this morning. Two questions. We're going to get out of here early. I got the mic earlier than normal, so that's good. And I have a baby shower to go to at 1230 in <laughs> Mebane, North Carolina. Yeah, so uh, we're going to get out of here early, hopefully. I was kind of struggling with that. I was like, well, I got to go to Mebane, so I need to make this quick. But at the same time, after this sermon, this might be the last time they let me preach, so I might as well just take it out long, you know. So... So I have to go to Mebane, so I'm going to try to get you out of here in 30 minutes, hours tops. Okay, so I have two questions for you. Who is your neighbor, and how do you treat your neighbor? Who is your neighbor, and how do you treat your neighbor? Your level for animosity for the group that you wrote down may not arise to the level of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. But I do want you to understand how, com how uncomfortable this parable was for the people listening. If the media was present in Jesus' day, he pro they probably would have said Jesus, in giving this parable to these people, was being tone deaf, right? Because he was, he was telling them to, he was making the Samaritans the good guy in this story when they really didn't like the Samaritans. I just want to give you an example for a feeling of that, something maybe that you can understand. Let's bring in modern day. Let's suppose after... 9-11 happened. We just commemorated 9-11 a couple of weeks ago. Let's suppose two weeks after the towers fell, after when New York was just, just in disarray, there was lots of mourning, there was lots of not understanding what was going on. Let's say George Bush, who was the president at that time, decided to take a trip to New York to bring comfort to the police officers. It's been through literally I don't have a better word for it, literally hell, right? That was a horrible time in America's history. And if George Bush stood there and he told the story of a man who had fell and was hurt and was wounded, and the fire chief came by, saw him hurting, and walked by. And the, the chief of police came by, saw the man hurting, and walked by. But a Muslim stopped and helped the hurting person. How do you think that crowd would have received that message? Some of us couldn't receive that message even today. That was a hard thing for Jesus to say when he, talk about, when he talked about the Samaritan, Samaritan being the good guy. Or let's say today Franklin Graham is asked to speak at the Southern Baptist Convention. And he tells that same story, but the heroine of his story is a, a gay, Islamic, Islamic um, female abortion doctor. I don't think Franklin would be invited back to the Southern Baptist Conven Convention because that is contrary to what we feel or who we feel should be the hero, hero of the stories. The story challenged the very core of what Jews believed. They were morally superior. Their doctrine was 100% correct. And those Samaritans were half-breeds. They used to call them dogs. 
How could anyone in that group be the neighbor, let alone, let alone do the right thing? They were uncomfortable, maybe as, as uncomfortable you are right now. Jesus was answering the question, who is my neighbor? But the answer was not what they wanted to hear. My neighbor cannot possibly be a person in this group. These people are evil, morally bankrupt. How can they possibly be my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? I asked my husband that question, and he said, anyone that does not reside in our household which is a pretty good definition, except now I have to call my kids and tell them they've been downgraded to neighbors, and I don't pay neighbors student loans, so I don't know what they're going to do about that. Who is your neighbor? According to the Jews, their neighbors were, anyone in the Hebrew nation, in the commonwealth, they didn't extend their neighbors outside of their, their household, their Jewish household. So if you were a Jew, you were my neighbor. If you were not a Jew, you were a dog. They called the Gentiles dogs. They called Samaritans dogs. My neighbor are people who look like me. My neighbor is people who live within my country. My neighbor are people who agree with me. Who is your neighbor? But Jesus came doing what Jesus does and he changed the definition. Jesus said, any man, irrespective of nature, nation, or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. So Jesus said, everybody you meet, everybody you come in contact with is your neighbor. Let me tell you just this morning who your neighbor is, right? Your neighbor is black. Your neighbor is white. Your neighbor is Middle Eastern. Your neighbor is Latino. Your neighbor is Asian. Your, your neighbor is Republican. And your neighbor is a Democrat. Your neighbor is a Libertarian, and he is an Independent. Your neighbor is a Capitalist. He's also a Marxist. He's a Socialist. He's a Communist. Your neighbor is Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Catholic, Atheist, Satanist, Wiccan. Your neighbor says things like, Black Lives Matter. Your neighbor says, All Lives Matter. Your neighbors say, Make America Great Again. Your neighbor said, America has never been great. Your neighbors say, Blue Lives matter. Your neighbor says, defund the police. All are your neighbors. Your neighbors participated in the riots after George Floyd's death, and they participated in the riot on January 6th. Your neighbor is vaccinated. Your neighbor is unvaccinated. Your neighbors are part of the LBTQ community. Did I leave anybody out? Because if I left them out, they're included as well. This is who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the people you're struggling to love. Can you show the next slide? So I want you to write on the box on the left, this is my neighbor. That person you're struggling to love is your neighbor. So we've answered the first question. Who is your neighbor? If you set your eyes on them, they're your neighbor. Plain and simple. So how do you love your neighbor? How do you be a good neighbor? Again, I think this parable was pretty straightforward. So we're going to look at that. Being a good neighbor requires risk. 
This is not a joke. Why did the priest and the Levite cross the street? Not a joke. What's the answer? To get to the other side. It's not a joke. This is why they crossed the street. Why did they want to get to the other side? Well, you know, we can, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And, and really, I don't want you to look at the priest and the Levite as the bad guy in this story. Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, we've all been the priest and the Levite in this story. We've all walked to the other side to avoid confrontation. We all have closed our eyes to injustice. We have all been the priest and the Levite. So, but part of the reason the priest and the Levite could have crossed the street, they had a good reason. Maybe they were on their way to serve somewhere. And Leviticus 15.7 tells us that if you touch a person who is emitting fluids, and I'm assuming this person was bleeding, that makes you unclean. So they could have been on their way to minister somewhere and they didn't want to be unclean because then they would have to take the special bath and they'd be unclean till evening and they had to go somewhere. Maybe that was it. We can all relate to that, right? We can all relate to that. I can't stop and help you right now because I got to go to church. <laughs> it could have been, I've read somewhere that that road was very dangerous. So it could have been that they didn't stop because they didn't want themselves to be robbed. I have small children at home. I have to think about my small children. I have to think about my family. I have to think about my livelihood. So I can't stop and help you because this maybe this is just a trap. Maybe if I stop and help you, then the robbers will come back out and they will rob me. So I am protecting my family. I'm protecting my livelihood. That's a good reason, right? We do it. Their only sin was inaction. That was their only sin, was inaction. They didn't cause the hurt. They didn't cheer on the hurt. Their only sin was inaction. They were following, some could argue that they were following the law and not getting unclean. I'll tell you a story. I, as you know, I teach high school. And the number one rule of teaching high school is this. Don't touch the children. Okay? Do not touch them. Because that's a law. It protects me. It protects the child. Do not touch the children. Number one law. So this happened a few years ago. I'm on duty. We have to what we call sweep when, at the beginning of our plan and make sure the bathrooms are clear. Make sure the halls are cleared. So I go into the bathroom and make sure the bathroom is, un is clear. And one of my students is there and she is in tears. She's bawling. And I say to her, sweetheart, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she tells me her woes. Her parents are getting divorced. Children are making fun of her. And yes, she had a D in my class at the time. I know, horrible teacher. And so I'm, she's crying and I'm, it'll be okay, honey. It'll be okay, because I can't touch the child, especially not in a bathroom. Come on now, that's just creepy. I don't care who you are. So I, I'm just, it's going to be okay, honey. It's, it's okay. It's all right. And then I say, I don't know why I asked her this question, but I asked her this question. What can I do for you? Tears in her eyes pouring down. She said to me, can you give me a hug? The law says, don't touch the children. It's a good law. I could lose, if someone walked in on that moment, I could lose everything being accused of something that was innocent. What do you do? You hug the child. <laughs> you embrace her. You hug her. You, we're not supposed to pray either. You pray in the spirit over her. Because love outranks the law. I just want to say to you, if your interpretation of the scripture, if, if your interpretation of the scripture allows you to be inactive when you see injustice, when you see people hurting, if your interpretation of the scripture allows you to do nothing, 
then I would suggest that maybe, just maybe, you need a greater revelation of God's love. And again, there's no condemnation in that. We've all been the priest. We've all been the Levite. And we all need to stop and just ask God for a greater revelation of his love. So when I see people hurting, when I see people in need, my first thought is not law. My first thought is love. Don't touch the kids, but love everybody. Is there a place? I want you to ask this question. Is there a place in my life that my understanding of scripture is allowing inaction or injustice to reign? Selah. Jesus risked being considered a heretic. He risked losing followers. He violated the religious people's understandings of the law to love others. A neighbor does the same. Go and do likewise. I want you to write, if you go to the next one, I want you to write in your box over those people that you're struggling to love, I want you to remind yourself, Jesus died for them. Jesus gave up everything for them. Jesus died for them. Go and do likewise. We're already on number two, I told you, we're gonna be out of here by noon for sure. Number two, being a neighbor requires seeing the humanity in every person you encounter. Now, I, I understand there's this book that I found on the table back there. I bought it up. I don't know where that book come from. You know what book I'm talking about, Leah? Oh, this little, where did this come from? I mean, I know it came from there, but I don't, oh, oh, Cliff, you donated these. Okay. These are, this is a cute little book. You should probably read it. There's the back table. And I got it I, because the name of it, The Secret of Loving Everyone, Even Our Enemies. And I thought, hey, hey, I'll just teach this this morning. <laughs> so pick one up on your way out. I don't, why am I doing that? <laughs> okay. They told me I couldn't wear my earring, so I'm, I'm being obedient. I'm still being punished here. I don't know what's going on. All right. We have to learn to see a person's humanity and seeing a person. See, the, the reason we have those people in the box, we dis and we don't know how to disagree with them. And by seeing their humanity, I am not asking you to change your uh, political affiliation. I don't care. Vote for whoever the Lord tells you to vote for. Just vote for them. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm not asking you to change what you, your interpretation of the scripture and who the scripture tells you is, is a saint or who's, well, every, we all saints, who the scripture, your interpretation of who's sinning and who's not. I'm not asking you to change that. What I am asking you to do is to, regardless of what that person does, regardless that you, you agree with them, that you see their humanity. That they, yet you see that they were created in the image of God. Weren't we all created in the image of God? The biggest area of contention between the Jews and the Samarians was where to worship. The Samarians believed in the first five books of the Bible. They just disagreed on where to worship. I was reading that um, when you look at the DNA of a Samaritan and a Jewish person, they're almost identical. The Samaritans were their distant cousins. They were arguing with family over where to worship. How crazy is that? I wonder when they look back at this generation and they look at what we're arguing about right now, I wonder if they'll feel the same way that I'm feeling about the Jews and the Samaritans argument. I don't know. 
we like to put people in boxes and categorize them. Because once you're in a box, I no longer have to see your humanity, your humanness. Once I put you in that box, then I am free to one-dimensionalize you and say this is everything you believe because I put you in this box. And we do it frequently and we do it often because it's easy. Seeing that I may, I may, I may preach well, I may uh, pray well, but I'm flawed. I don't agree with you. That's a hard thing to put together because I want the people I, I'm listening to, I want the people who have influence in my life, I want them to be perfect. And when I'm not, then you box me up and you put me aside. But don't put baby in a box. Baby ain't going in a corner. I refuse. I was, I commented on someone's social media post. Okay, I know that was a dumb thing to do. I commented on their post and one of their friends immediately came back and called me a um, socialist. And I was like, we weren't even talking about finances. We weren't even talking about money. How, how, what, how am I socialist? But because it was easy for him to put me in a box because then he didn't have to listen to me. He doesn't have to be challenged by what I'm saying. He can discard me as a socialist. You know, the word categorize, we like to categorize people, right? You are, you are a Democrat, you are a Republican, you are, you are this, you are that, and we're categorizing people. You know what the, the root word to categorize is? Is categoria, which means what? In the Greek, it means accuser. It's the same root word they used when they referred to Satan as the accuser of the brethren. There's an accusation part to categorizing people. We're accusing them of being one dimensional. You are a socialist. You are a Trump supporter. You are a Biden supporter. And I can ignore all the things that we have in common because I have categorized you. When you lose sight of people's humanity, it becomes easy to condemn them to hell. In the previous chapter, just in the previous chapter, so I think when Jesus was telling the story about the Good Samaritans, it was just as much for his disciples as it was for the lawyer. Because in chapter 9, there's this interesting thing that occurred. Jesus tries to go, to go through Samaria to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans wouldn't let him go through. Okay? That was not a nice thing to do. We all agree with that, right? They wanted, to, like, they wanted to drive down Holly Springs Road, and I was like, nope, you cannot drive down Holly Springs Road. That would not be a nice thing for me to do. But James and John's reaction, you know what James and John wanted to do after that? They wanted to send fire from hell to destroy them all. Genocide. Let's just do a little genocide today because I can't drive down your road. It's a little bit of an overreaction, but why were they able to go immediately to genocide? Because they didn't see the humanity of the Samaritans. We have to learn when we lose sight of people's humanity, it's easy to condemn them. It's easy to ignore them. And you know what Jesus' response to that was? You do not know what manner of spirit you are, for, uh, you are of. Jesus said, I don't know where you got that from, but that's not what we're doing today. For I did not come to destroy man's life, but to save them. Let me just say this. Jesus did not come to destroy the people you put in that box. Jesus didn't come to destroy the LPD, LB, whatever, community. He did not come to destroy them. He did not come to destroy Black Lives Matter. He didn't come to destroy All Lives Matter. He certainly did not come to destroy Democrats, and he did not come to destroy Republicans. That's not who he is. And so if that is not God, why is it us? Why are we so easy to, to condemn a group of people when Jesus said, that's not why I came? 
Who's your neighbor? And how are you going to treat that neighbor? Here's your question. What group of people am I failing to see in the likeness of Christ? Jesus saw people's humanity. When he was confronted with the woman in adultery, he didn't see her sin. He saw her humanity, which was why he was able to protect her. Now, I'll go back to this. I am not asking you to condone bad behavior. Jesus didn't condone her behavior. He told her to go and sin no more. But he protected her. That's our job as a church, to protect people. Jesus saw the leper. And the law was don't touch the leper. Jesus touched the leper. And, and as I was saying this, this is something that challenged me. You can, you can take it for what it is. You can you say, you know, that she's crazy. But I, this, this is going to be a hard thing. Jesus saw himself in the prostitute. He saw himself in the tax collector. He saw himself in the woman caught in the drop, adultery. He saw himself in the shacked up woman from Samaritan. Samaritan. Jesus sees himself in the people group you wrote down. That's your next line. See Jesus in the people you are so easy to condemn. Go and do likewise. Last point. Told you. We're doing this. Being a neighbor requires compassion. Do you know what compassion means? It's an interesting word. <laughs> and I don't mean to gross you out, but I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> compassion means to be moved in your bowels. That's what it means. Because the in the in the in the Greek, your bowels are your place of love and and mercy. So it's to be moved in your bowels. So I just I just want to give you a little picture here. <laughs> I don't want to gross you out, but I do want to just give you a little picture here. Okay, you you've you've eaten something, right? And, and it, it just didn't set well in your stomach. And it, it, it needs to come out. <laughs> you know? have, have anybody else been here? Am I just, am I grossing you out? <laughs> now, and when that happens, you know, you can't sit still, right? <laughs> There's gotta be an action. You know, if you're in a meeting, you're like, okay, come on. We gotta end this meeting. We gotta go, we gotta go <laughs> because I gotta go right now. That is compassion. Compassion is, is, is to, I think I gave you, compassion is to be moved by love and mercy. And so with compassion, there's got to be an action. Compassion requires an action. You can't just sit there. You can't just, okay, here I go. My last time preaching here. You can't just send people your love and your thoughts. Compassion requires action. You can't just <laughs> you can't just just say to people, "Well, get over it." You you've you've been you know that was two hundred and fifty years ago. It's time to move on. Compassion. There's an action with that compassion. The Samaritan had compassion. He bandaged wounds to stop the bleeding. He did not cause the hurt, but he still saw it as his responsibility 
to take care of his human, his fellow human. Go and do likewise. Compassion doesn't find excuses not to help. It doesn't seek the source of your pain. It just acknowledges that you're in pain and it is moved to bring healing. Compassion requires us to give generously of our time and our resources. He didn't just help the man, he stayed with the man. He gave him his time. He gave him his resources. He gave him free health care. <gasps> okay, I'm not going there. <laughs> he gave generously. Compassion doesn't do what's easy. It does what's right. This, this week, I tell these stories, and, and I don't want you to think this is, this is my life as a teacher. It's not. But this week, I had to go to what's called an MDR, is to determine if a child should be long-term or not. It was a very emotional meeting. And everybody wanted it was an easy decision to long-term the child because it was easy. Because he would go to another school. It was an easy decision, but it wasn't the right decision. And so I had to stand there it was me and another teacher and disagree with everybody in the room because I still get emotional thinking about it because they wanted to do what was easy and compassion says does what do what's right Jesus's life was marked by compassion his compassion always motivated him into action. Matthew 9:36, he had compassion on the crowd. And in, verse, in chapter 10, we see him sending his disciples out to cast out demons and heal. Matthew 14:14, 14, 14, he had compassion, and it led him to heal the sick. Matthew 15:32, he had compassion, and he fed. Matthew 20:34, he had compassion, and he touched their eyes, and they were healed. Jesus' compassion always, linked, always led him to bring reconciliation, hope, healing, salvation. Jesus has compassion for that people group that's written on your paper. Go and do likewise. That's your last box. Jesus has compassion for this group. We're almost, there. We're almost there. Ultimately, boys and girls, the story of the Good Samaritan is the story of Jesus. Jesus came into a hostile world to show us how to love people who were morally corrupt, spiritually arrogant, racist, unjust, all the things you would say, perhaps, about the people in your people group. We have this thought that when Jesus came to the world, it was this nice, beautiful place. No, the world was more corrupt than it is right now. Can I tell you a secret, and you may not agree with this? We are ever been in history. I know you don't believe that. But as a nation, as a world, we are better now than we have ever been in history. If you go back to first century, you saw uh, when people had, uh, uh, was born with deformities, they didn't know what to do with them. So they just would leave them on the street. How many times have you been in a meeting and a prostitute just walked in the door? Prostitution was rampant back then. 
There were sinners. There was homosexuality. All the things that we rail against now has been in the world since the beginning. And when Jesus came into the world, it was corrupt. It was bankrupt. He didn't come into this nice place where everybody welcomed him. It was all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. No, it was a difficult, hard place. But Jesus said love anyway. Jesus loved so much that he came. And he took some of these flawed men that he interacted with and he brought them in his inner circle and equipped them to do the miraculous. No one is perfect. And if you're looking for perfection before you can receive from someone, if you're looking for perfection before you can love someone, if you are looking for perfection before you can show kindness, then you need to know that then kindness would never have been shown to you. You are no different than the person in that people group that you're struggling to love. I'm no different. We all have our issues. None of our theology is perfect. Not even Josh's. <laughs> Jesus healed imperfect people. He healed Gentiles. He protected the adulterer. He called a shacked up woman into her destiny. He ordained a corrupt tax collector. Jesus with both the sinners and the religious elite. He gave his life for corrupt, de degenerate people. And you can put your name right there because it's you. We were all corrupt. We were all degen degenerative before Jesus. We've talked about how Jesus' par parable, parables were ambiguous. This one is not. I'm ending. Here we go. This is the end. This is pretty straightforward. Here's the Reader's Digest. You ready? Your neighbor is everyone you encounter, regardless to if you agree with them politically, denominationally, educationally. They're your neighbor. And you should treat your neighbor with love and kindness and compassion. Go and do likewise that's it that's it for this morning i want you to put your hand on that sheet of paper where you wrote that people group and i'm not going to lead you in a prayer but you're going to pray for them right now you're going to pray blessings over them you're going to pray you're not going to pray anything you don't want prayed over you you're not going to pray like james and john Okay, you're going to pray over them. You're going to pray blessings over them. You're going to pray God will open your eyes to see him in that people group. You're going to pray and recognize that God loves them. And you're going to ask God to give you love for that people group. You're going to ask him to give you mercy. Let's go. now I just want to pray over you Lord I ask you to give each of us a greater revela greater revelation of your love open our eyes to see people who are hurting open our eyes so that we can see the humanity in every person we encounter. Give us a heart to love like you love.
Give us compassion. We tear down any understanding of the scripture that would allow us to be unkind or cruel or indifferent to people who are hurting. We ask you, Lord, to make us into the good Samaritan. We understand that it's not something we can do on our own, but we and we declare we want to be, we want to be like the good the good Samaritan. We want to go and do likewise. Help us, Lord. Give us strength. Because we can't do, it's hard, Lord. It's hard to come against um, tradition. It's hard to lose friends. It's hard to stand in a room and declare, we're going to do what's right and not what's easy. Give us the strength to do that, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you want, you know, the, the altar is always open. And I'm here to pray for you. I have a baby shower, but, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to do what's right, not what's easy. <laughs> if you want prayer, if you want some individual prayer, I'm here for you. Go. Be blessed. Go and do what? Likewise. Go and do likewise. Amen.